in the Navy. They're taught the best way to fight a storm or a hurricane was just to move out to sea and anchor deep. Hi, this is Greg. I'm one of the pastors here at West Valley Christian Church. There are times in our lives when we're caught in storms. Maybe someone listening is going through that right now. The best way to fight a storm is to anchor deep. Join us as we explore this year's theme and see how we have hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure in Christ. We hope you enjoy. I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here, and uh, I was blessed with having the month of July off, so I did find my way back here, and it is good to see so many familiar faces, and it's so good to see faces I have no clue who you are, and I look forward to meeting you. Uh, one of the things I was excited about is while I was gone, we had what they call Promotion Sunday, where I think it's our, our little ones in the preschool, they move up to the elementary uh, uh, ministry, and then our uh, elementary fifth graders, they move up to junior high. And so I see some junior hires out here, and I want to just say welcome to church. We believe the kids and teens are not the future of the church. They are the church today. So let's give it up for our junior hires that are in the service and worshiping. And to those of you online, it's good that uh, you're joining us. And uh, we pray that uh, you will be just as encouraged throughout uh, this service today. So we're in a series called Anchored 2.0. I stood up here uh, in January and our, introduced our theme. We always have a theme for the year. And our theme this year is Anchored. Can you say Anchored? With some enthusiasm. Anchored. And so our key verse this year, I'd like to remind you of, because I think it's so important for us every day to be reminded of this, no matter what good happens, no matter what bad happens, no matter what ugly happens, we have this promise in scripture found in Hebrews chapter six and verse nine, it says, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul. Who needs an anchor for the soul? I know I do. Firm and secure, it enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, can we say Jesus? Jesus has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. There's some important words in here, anchor, hope, and Jesus. So no matter what happens in our world, we've got Jesus. Amen? And so the, what we did at the beginning of the year, we spent six weeks looking at the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John, gospel means good news. It's uh, in the New Testament. It talks about the life of Jesus. And we see these, in some versions, we see red letters. And anytime there's red letters, that's when Jesus speaks. So we looked at the red letters uh, and we've worked our way through them. And then we've come back here in the summer. And that's why we're calling this Anchor 2.0. Uh, Pastor Greg, I guess, shared the first week and Pastor John the last four weeks, taking a look at chapters 9, 10, 11, I believe even 8. And today we're going to look at John chapter 12, and we're going to see how anchoring to these words could literally help us be better human beings as we live on this earth. Amen? Let's go. Father in heaven, it is good to be in your house. It's good to be alive. Thank you for Aaron and the worship team for blessing us with leading us to your throne. God, as a church, we want to thank you for the Kenya team that arrived safely. And 
I got video of, of them worshiping in, in Africa yesterday, and we just pray for that team as they continue to prepare to do a vacation Bible school uh, this week. God, for us, may we be present in this very moment and be ready and willing to hear what it is that you have to share for our lives out of your gospel, John. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. amen. So we got a story about a man. He's on his deathbed, and uh, he invites uh, three people that he trusts to his deathbed. He invites a pastor, of course. He invites (laughs) a doctor, and he invites a lawyer. And he can barely speak, but he's like, hey, I've worked all my life, and I'm down to $30,000 in my bank account. And so uh, I've cashed it out. I've put $10,000 in these three envelopes. Now, I'm going to give each one of you one of these envelopes. And when I finally pass at my funeral with the casket open, when the time comes, I want you to come to my body and I want you to place the envelope in my hand because I've worked so hard for this. I want to, I want to go into eternity with this $30,000. The three guys kind of look at each other like, this is weird, but will you do it? Yeah, okay, yeah, we'll do it. Well, sure enough, the man passes and the time comes for the funeral. There's the casket. It's open. Pastor kind of hesitantly stands up and he makes his way with the envelope and he places it right there next to the hands. Then the doctor comes up. He places the envelope next to the man's hands. The lawyer comes up and he places the envelope next to the man's hands. It's about a week later and the three of them gathered for breakfast and wanted to catch up with one another. And so they're eating breakfast. And finally, the pastor goes, you know what? I need to share something. The guys are like, yeah, what? He goes, well, you know, I put the envelope there like I was asked to. But the day before, I was thinking, you know, we're trying to raise money for a new sound system in the church. So I decided, you know, he would, he would want to give to this. So I pulled out $2,000 cash, but then I, I kept the $8,000 and I, I put it there in the casket. Doctor goes, wow, okay, well, I got one too then. He goes, you know, he loves uh, my practice and he loved all the nurses and the doctors. And, and so we were doing some improvements. And I also looked at that money and thought, you know, he'd really want to help participate in that. So I pulled $5,000 out of the envelope. Lawyer goes, yeah? He goes, well, I got one better. He said, uh, I took the 8,000, pastor, that you put in there, and I took the 5,000 that you, doctor, put in there, and, and I kept the 10,000. And they're kind of looking at him. But, but, but to be fair, I wrote a check for $30,000 and put it in the envelope and put it in the man's hands. Now, some of you are going to get this at lunch. (laughs) But I have a question. I have a question. What are you doing with what God has given you? And I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about everything. I'm talking about the life that God has blessed you with. What are you doing with this life that you have one shot at? Unless you're Shirley MacLaine, she thinks you're going to keep coming back. But God says, we got one shot at this. So how are you doing with it? And where's your heart? Is it like the doctor? Is it like the pastor? Is it like the lawyer? Or is it better? Or is it worse? Well, we're going to look at a story 
that's going to talk about some things that I think are important that we can learn about how we can live here on this earth. And we're going to look at, at John chapter 12. So bust open your Bibles. And, and again, as long as I'm preaching, you're going to see me hold this thing. Uh, again, a lot of it is because I want you to see that I'm preaching out of the word of God. And the other one is if I had an iPad or something, I'd mess it up anyways. But we believe that this is God's word here at West Valley Christian Church. Amen. And if you don't have a Bible on your way out, there are bookshelves with Bibles on it. Consider it a gift. Take one. And we would just ask that you start reading it. And if you want a place to start reading, I think the book of John is a great place to start reading. So there it is. The rest of you, I know a lot of you have the U version on your phones. And so let's open that up and let's read the story together here in John chapter 12, verse 1. I want you to put yourself in this story because it paints such a beautiful picture that I think you could find yourself watching what's happening. Six days before the Passover in verse 1, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the what? He raised him from the dead and Pastor John preached on that last week. That had to be absolutely amazing to be a part of, to see. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it where? She poured it on Jesus' feet and he wiped or she wiped his feet with what? With her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But then you get to verse uh, four. But one of the disciples, Judas, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't the perfume sold, he said, and the money given to the poor? Oh, he's such a righteous man. It was worth a year's wage. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a what, church? Because he was a what, church? Because he was a thief. As a keeper of the money back, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Then I love Jesus' response. And if you have the red letter version, you're going to see it's red right here. It says, leave her alone. Let's say that together. Leave her alone. Let's say it again. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. And it was intended that she would save this perfume for the day of my what? Of my burial. You will always have the poor among you but you will not always have me. Then you go to verse nine. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. That had to be pretty cool. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For an account of him, many of the Jews were going, to, or going over to Jesus and believing in him. The next day, the great crowd that had come from the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. And there's our text for the today. We've read John chapter 12, verses 1 through 12. Were you able to find yourself in the story? Could you even... Uh, picture what it was like to be in that room, what you would have seen, what you would have smelled, what you would have experienced. And what I want to do, something a little different today is as I was studying this out, I thought, you know what, let's press in to some of the major personalities, some of the major characters in this story. Because we know what's going on here because we've just read it. But I want you to, if you're taking notes, write this down. Number one, we're going to background. You know, Jesus 
had just raised Lazarus from the dead. If you missed last week, you can always go online and catch up or just go read the story for yourself. It's an amazing story. You know, uh, in our life groups, we have what we call sermon-based life groups. And so the sermon is preached on a Sunday. We look at that as like a monologue. And then uh, Pastor John writes a lesson based off of it. And all of our life groups, they, they talk deeper about what the sermon was about. We, there's a little bit more scripture. And, and we call those uh, 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 sermon-based life groups. And it's more of a dialogue because we get to discuss And one of the things that happened this week when I was back in my life group is it's so amazing, this story of Lazarus being raised from the dead, that we see such a human side of Jesus. Like Jesus, it says Jesus wept. Jesus' Jesus' heart was in despair because of what Mary had shared. He he, he was hurt because his good friend Lazarus had passed. And, And we just see this compassionate, loving, caring human God in the flesh. And I want to say that Jesus that was in in John chapter 11 is the same Jesus that's here today in 2023. Amen. He loves us. He cares about us. He's personal. He's relational. And he desires that for each and every one of us. And so with that, we see that Martha seems to be the one hosting, right? According to this passage, we see Martha's the one hosting this um, banquet, this party. The guest list is Jesus, his disciples. Uh, You got Lazarus and Mary and Martha. And you read on later in the passage that there's a lot of other people that showed up because they wanted to see this Jesus and they wanted to see this guy Lazarus that was raised from the dead. So there's the background. Now, Now, if you're taking notes, write this down. Number two. Now we're going to start pressing into some personal uh, people here and, and what we could draw from them. Martha, write this down, Martha's hospitality. Martha's hospitality. Again, we read that, that Martha was the host of this banquet. And we know this is not out of character for her, right? I think it was in Luke 10 where um, Mary and Martha were, were getting the home ready because who was going to be coming over? Jesus was going to be coming over. And so we know that story, and I'm not preaching on that today, but it just speaks to the, the heart of Martha. Like she's one of those people that was very hospitable. She, she opened her door and opened her home probably to more people than just Jesus. And she was one of those people, and people that have the gift of hospitality are very hospitable. They want the home to look well. They want it to present well. And a lot of times it has nothing to do with the person. It has to do with the people that they're having over. Why? Because they love them, because they care about those people, and they want to give the best for those people and show them how valuable and special they are. Are you with me? And so this happens, and in that story, in Luke 10, we see that Jesus comes over, and Martha's still caught up in in getting everything ready, that uh, she kind of chews out her sister, right? And Jesus is like, Martha, 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 right? There's that whole story. But the only reason I bring that up is, again, it speaks to the heart and the character of who Martha is, a very hospitable person. The definition of hospitality, straight out of Webster's, the friendly and generous reception and entertainment of guests, visitors, or strangers. Guests, visitors, or strangers. It's, it's receiving people in a way that makes them feel well taken care of. It, 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 it makes them feel like they're special, like they're valuable. Have you ever been on the receiving end of hospitality? 
Now, the truth is, you as a church are very hospitable. You are very, very uh, good at showing that you love and showing that you care. But there's always room for growth. Amen? And so, again, the question with what we look at today is, how am I doing? Where am I at on the spectrum? Like, I'm going to open up my doors to the world and everybody can come in and I'm going to just give everything away to the person over there. This is my house. Ain't nobody coming in it. Ain't nobody touching my restroom. This is my kitchen, my pans, my knives. Uh Uh-uh. Right? And and, and so those are extremes. And so the the real question is, where do you land on that? And where is God wanting you to move and grow in this? Because healthy things grow. Amen? Ah, blah, blah, blah. You're already thinking about lunch, aren't you? So we see this is true in Martha, right? That, we can't argue that, right? She's very hospitable. Uh, the Bible actually challenges us to this. If you read Titus, one of the uh, passages that we look at for potential elders, overseers of the church, Titus chapter 1, verse 8 says, Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. I mean, there's all sorts of characteristics that could be placed in there, yet hospitality is right there, and actually, it's the first one. Because I think under the word of hospitality, the heart of hospitality, is a heart that actually cares about someone other than themselves. Right? You can't... It's hard to be genuinely hospitable when all you care about is you. But true hospitality comes from this, oh my gosh, I want to do this for another person. Sounds very biblical, doesn't it? When Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And then he says what? Love your neighbor. That's hospitality, isn't it, church? Romans chapter 12, nine verse, uh, verses 9 through 11. Love must be sincere. That's part of hospitality, right? Hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love. When we're devoted to one another in love, hospitality is an overflow of what happens. Honor one another, it says, above yourself. There's a great sign of hospitality. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. I, I, I think about... Um, I think about, is it Matthew 25, where it talks about, you know, Jesus has talked to them and says, and, and he's like, you know, when you fed them, when you clothed them, when you gave them water, when do we do that? Uh, when do we do that for you? And he says, well, when you did it for those, the least of these. And I'm just thinking hospitality is being lived out in so many passages in scripture. So the whole goal of um, the elders, and some have interpreted this wrong, and please hear this. The elders, the elders I want to say requested, but they actually, in a nice way, demanded that I took July off. And now some would look at that in the business world and other worlds and go, oh my gosh, you're in trouble. You're coming back to a job? <laughs> that, no, they did that because they just knew the whole COVID season and everything just been going hard, and they just said, you know, Pastor Rob, you need a rest. And so, so I got that. And so thank you to you guys for allowing me to do that. Thank you for the team. We've got a great staff here, amen? And man, I came back and, and just everything kept clicking. You know, the most exciting thing for me was that outside of the door still being on and open and the lights on, the baptisms that happened while I was gone. I, I, I was so excited 
in staff meeting when I was hearing about that. It's like, that is good stuff. Amen, church? So yeah, so a lot of it, I was really busy, but the goal was mental and heart rest, which I totally disconnected. And so that was good. So, you know, we have a normal family trip that we meet my sister and her whole family up in Tahoe every year. So that was like right in the middle of the break. And it's like 10 days. And, and so that was great. But when I was on that trip, I was like, man, when I get back, I need to get out of here. Because every time I'm here, whether I'm on vacation or not, I get sucked into stuff. And it's not because of people. It's because of me. It's just my personality. I just, I just do it. And so I'm on this trip up in Tahoe. I'm like, I got to figure out something for the last week. And, and then there's a lot of different ideas. And finally, I landed on this crazy idea. And I think it was six days before this happened. I mean, this is how spontaneous it was. So I called my uncle, who I knew was the only one that could do this last minute like this. And if you don't know about Uncle Casey, he's retired now. He lives in Maui with his wife. And I said, hey, there's this thing. I don't have an official bucket list, but there's things that I want to do, like maybe you guys. Now, you type A people, you probably have that all listed and the dates in which it's going to happen. But I've always wanted to go to Fenway Park in, in Boston and see a baseball game. And I've always wanted to go to New York and see a live Broadway play. Some of you don't know that about me, but I love that kind of stuff. And um, so, so I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go. I'm going to go to the East Coast. Uncle said, yeah, he flew him from Hawaii. We get back, literally get on a plane. And I had four days to plan this thing. And we fly to Boston. So I got to, I got to see. Um, it was cool. In the morning, we had time. So I ended up going to JFK um, Museum. That was really cool to do because it was just right there. Then went to Fenway Park, one of the oldest baseball stadiums, if not the oldest. Um, and so it's a, sorry, I know we got some Boston fans. It's a piece of junk field. I mean, it's just, it's just old and it smells and all, but the history is absolutely amazing. And the green wall and all that. And I've lost a lot of you. I'll bring you back. But um, then rented a car and we drove to the Hall of Fame, Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown. The six-hour drive was just gorgeous. I saw stuff. I saw more American flags on homes than I'd seen ever, you know, and it was just, it was just awesome. Uh, Cooperstown was awesome. But then I got to go to three more baseball games, went to the, the Yankee Stadium and went to the Mets Stadium, and then we took a train to Baltimore, went to Camden Yards, and I got to, got to go to a Broadway play, aquarium, all this stuff. World Trade Center, you want to talk about humbling? I share all that to tell you this. In the context of hospitality, I had everything from A to Z. And, and I, there's a lot to share, but just from the hotel perspective, Boston, rude. It was a nice hotel, and the people could care less if I was checking in. And, you know, for me, I don't get all caught up. You know, it's like, whatever. But just the truth is, they were rude. Because the extreme, and this might shock you, in New York, I had a place right there in Times Square, they, they, you would have thought that they would die for me. Mr. Denton this and Mr. Denton that and, and just the service and the kindness and the hospitality really made me feel special. Hospitality feels good, doesn't it, church? And, and, and have you ever ridden a subway in New York? Have you ever ridden a subway in Boston? I don't think hospitality is associated with that experience. But here's just how I was raised and just how my heart works. You know, I'm on these things and literally on the way to the Fenway game, I kid you not, I was like this standing with another million people 
And it just reeked in there. And luckily, I was tall enough. Most people were below me. I'm like, if I was short, this would really suck. But, you know, this and that. Uh, but here's one thing in riding them, and, and, and it was always packed like that. But I, there was experiences in, um, in New York where it's just a different culture. But I always believe if I had a seat, and I was always taught, give it up if a woman comes on there. Or if someone older than you comes on there. Now, there's less and less people that are older than me, the older I get. But I just, you just give up your seat. You know how many times I gave up my seat? And the person wouldn't even acknowledge that I gave up a seat. They're just so, everyone's just trained to just do this. Like literally, it's like zombies. But hospitality is that, isn't it? It's giving up for the need of another person. And I experienced A to Z on this. Here's what I also experienced. I went to churches. And some churches were very hospitable and some churches weren't. And here's, here's what I, where I want to land. Church, I can't speak for all other churches, but church, we need to be a very hospitable church. Hospitality, welcome home the signs, but not just signs that say that, but lives that say that. And like I said, I walked into some very warm churches and I walked into churches that were very cold and I don't mean temperature wise. How are people walking into your life? What would they perceive of you? Hospitable or you don't give a rip? I believe scripture calls us to be hospitable. How about you? I love 1 Peter 4, verses 8 through 9. Above all, love each other deeply, the passage says, because love covers over a multitude of sins. And then it says, offer, offer hospitality to one another without what, church? Offer hospitality without grumbling. And here's what I want to speak to. And some of you are like, oh, you're going too far on this. You know, go back on vacation. But here it is. Here it is. I believe there's two major aspects, and, and I couldn't have told you this last week, but there's two, and this is just Rob Denton, and you could disagree with it, and, and we could still love each other, but I'm right. <laughs> there's two key elements to hospitality. Think about this. The action and the affection, or another way to put it, the outward and the inward. So what do I mean? I could be on a subway. I could be sitting in a seat. I could see a, 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 a woman come onto the subway. I could get up and offer my seat like, oh, here you go. I was always told you're supposed to give up your seat. The action was very hospitable. The attitude was not. That's why I think there's two key elements. Does, does, does that make sense? And so we have to make sure like in Boston, the room was gorgeous. The attitude sucked. And so what we want to do with hospitality is make sure the action and the affection are working together. The outward and the inward are working together. That's why First Peter says this, offer hospitality with, uh, to one another without what? Without grumbling. We could host the party, we could give up the seat, we could hand out the bulletin, we could loan the car, but do, do it with a loving attitude. Offer hospitality without grumbling. Martha, I think, had learned the lesson from Luke 10, and in this situation, I think she had the right attitude. I think hospitality, 
is giving God your best. Amen? I think hospitality is giving God your best. Well, let's continue on the story. John 12, 3. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with what? With her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Taking notes, number three, Mary's generosity. So we've got Martha's hospitality. We got Mary's generosity. What's generosity? Generosity is the readiness to give more of something as money or time, as an example. Readiness is to give more of something, and money and time are examples. It's showing kindness in a more larger and more plentiful way than usual. And this is a core value at West Valley Christian Church. We have core, uh, five core values. Generosity, fun, excellence, life change, and team generosity. We don't want to be the church with the hand and saying to the world, give me, give me, give me. We want to be a generous church. We just put 10 people on a plane to go to Kenya. They left on Wednesday. They went through Dubai to, to Kenya. It's like 20 something hours of travel. And, 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 and their plan is now whether that many kids are going to show up or not, we don't know. But their plan is with 10 with 10 of them, they're going to lead a vacation Bible school for 800 kids in the slums of Nairobi. And we're going to talk about, we're, we're talking about generosity. Generosity, one of the things that I've told you, I've been all over the world. I've led teams all over the world. I've been in all kinds of places, seen all kinds of poverty. Nothing has ruined me like the slums of Nairobi, Kenya. I could still smell it and I could still taste it and I could still see what I saw there. It is unbelievable where those 10 are going and ministering. I just got a video of them worshiping because it's almost a day difference uh, yesterday. And uh, it was just so awesome to see this church that you bought a piece of, you the church, because you're generous, bought a piece of land, a very small piece of land in the, in the slums and built a little building. And this building was packed with people and they were worshiping in this video today. Amen. But what they're going to experience is they're, they're going to see... They're, they're gonna, they, they probably toured today or yesterday uh, down in there. And this is a part that, that ruined me because those creeks aren't creeks with running water. And I'll leave it at that. And you go to the homes and they're, they're shanties. And, and, and I would guess that maybe, maybe six, seven feet wide, maybe eight feet deep. And you got families of four and five in these places. And I share all of that because when we talk about generosity, I'm, I'm, I'm not just talking about money. I'm not talking about things. And I'm not just talking about time. It's all, everything that we have. I'm talking about the breath and the sight, the ability to walk, health, all that kind of stuff. When we're talking about generosity, we're talking about giving our best to God. And what Mary did was she gave her best. I mean, picture it. Everyone's celebrating. Everyone's asking Lazarus, what was it like to be dead? And some going, well, you still smell, you know? And it's funny because it says that he's reclining. <laughs> Just a lazy male, right? Everyone's, all the women running around doing everything. He's reclining. He's telling us, oh, yeah, it was really cool. And then I heard, you know, Lazarus come forth. And I, all of a sudden I'm walking, you know? It's like, a, you know, this is all going on. People are eating, talking. Mary disappears. She goes into the room, she comes back out, she's got something in her hand. No one's paying attention to her, probably. 
The next thing she knows, Jesus is having a conversation. She's on her knees. Now, Jesus probably acknowledges her, but continues the conversation, not knowing what's about to happen, but has the ability to know what's about to happen. She opens up the straw of perfume and she pours it on his feet. She dumps all of it. She didn't just give a portion. She gave everything. And, and at some point, because the fragrance probably filled the air. Can you imagine? And I did a study on it. Just like, like here's the deal, guys. If you want to give the best to that special woman in your life, some of you are already on Amazon trying to get a little pint of uh, nard right now. <laughs> I mean, you could, that could go a long way. Uh, it's going to cost you a lot, though, because what does the scripture say? <laughs> You've already looked into it, huh, Brian? It's expensive perfume. As a matter of fact, it's a year's what? Year's wages. Some of you make 10000 a year. Some of you make twenty. Some of you make fifty. Some of you make 75 Some of you make 100 Some of you make 200 Some of you make half a million. Some of you make a million. Whatever it is. Whatever that yearly wage is, think about it. You bring it before Jesus and you give it all. Not 10%, not 12%, not 20%, not half of it. You gave all of it. That's what she did. She was being generous with Jesus, wasn't she? She gave everything she had because she was in the moment of worshiping Jesus. She wiped his feet with her hair. What is everyone thinking? Well, we don't know what everyone's thinking, but we know what one person's thinking because John 12 says this. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He complained. He grumbled, and we're going to talk about him in just a second. But we want to talk about Mary's generosity. She loved him extraordinarily. Amen? A lot of people in the world that don't understand your relationship with Jesus Christ would say, why in the world would you tithe 10%? That's a waste. Why in the world would you go and volunteer with children's ministry? You're wasting two, three, four good hours on a Sunday where you could be sunbathing at Zuma. The world looks at it and says, you're wasting it because they're looking through Jesus, Ju Jesus, Judas, selfish filter. Amen? Mary did not do this out of obligation. She did this out of love and gratitude. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. You know what, church? You know why we do what we do? And why we don't do what we don't do is when we keep a heavenly perspective of what Jesus has done for us and what he's taken us away from and the gifts that he's given us, we could lay it all before his feet. But when it's my world and you're just living in an attitude and we've kind of pushed aside the cross, then we become very selfish, don't we, church? Matthew 6 says it this way, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be what? will be also. Mary gave her best. Martha gave her best. Am I giving my best? Is this church community giving their best? Or are we kind of like the lawyer in the illustration earlier? You remember him? 
Mine, mine, mine. All mine. A quote from a famous Daffy Duck, Looney Tunes. John chapter 12, verse 6. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was there, betrayed him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold? And we've read this and the money given to the poor. It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a what? Because he was a thief. Now, I want to hit on this because this is our fourth point. Judas greed. We've got Martha's uh, uh, hospitality and we've got Mary's, um, Mary's generosity. We've got Judas greed. All he cared about was himself because throughout that scripture and throughout many scriptures, we see that Judas was tripped up in his heart. And when I talk about being a thief, a lot of us will associate that with money. And that could be one way we're we're thieves. Some of us could associate with things and objects. and, And that's one way we could be thieves. But one way we don't often talk about or think about with being thieves is some of us are thieves of people's hearts. And we've, we've, we've given our trust to an individual and we've surrendered our stuff to that individual. And then that individual takes that and robs us. And they're a thief and they've stolen from us that which was valuable. And so there's so many ways. We can be thieves with our words. The Bible says the tongue can be used like poison and it could give life. And some of us are thieves with our tongues. Someone has done something well in their life. Something has done something meaningful in their life. And we come along like a Judas and we shoot poison on it. And we are a a, a thief because we rob them of that joy. Are you with me? Some of you are like, man, you need to go back on vacation. (laughs) But isn't it true, church? We could be like Judas and be thieves. If there's any Judas in us today, it's time to say goodbye to him. It's no way to live. Robbing God and robbing others is just wrong and selfish. And I conclude with number five, Jesus' truth. All I want to read is John chapter 12, verse 7, that says, Judas, leave her alone. Did you catch that? Judas, leave her alone. You are so off center. You are so wrong. You are so critical. He stepped in between the woman and Judas. And guess what? He's done the same for us. That's Jesus' truth. You and I have ruined people's lives with our tongue. We have robbed people. We have been selfish with our stuff and not generous. We've had moments where we're not hospitable and it's all about us. We're all sinners, right? We've fallen short. But Jesus said this in John 3, 16, or the Bible says this, for God so loved what? The world that he gave his one and only son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have what? That's Jesus' truth. And so though we may fall short on some of the stuff we talked about today, healthy things grow. And let Jesus stand between you and the accuser. I hope you got something to work on. I know I do. I have lots to work on. Let's pray. 
Father, thank you. Help us as we process this. Help us as we digest this. Help us as we meditate on this and chew on it. God, help us to do better with hospitality. Help us to do better with generosity. Even though we may be very generous and very hospitable people, we, we want to give our best because you gave your best. And God, if there's any Judas in our heart where we're robbing people with our words, with our actions, help us. Thank you that you stand up for us. In Jesus' name, all God's people said. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at wvcch.org or you can join us live in one of our Sunday services. Have a great day. Tender mercies and your love that you've always shown.